Pastor Dennis, thank you for those encouraging words. In relationship to divine appointments, there's not a question in my mind this morning that every person here, it may not just be two of us, every person here has divine appointments this week. Minimally speaking, we have divine appointments with our Father. Right? That's a real deal. Monday begins for us a week of prayer and fasting. A week of prayer and fasting. It's an opportunity to slow down in our normal work-a-day week and to refocus in our relationship with the Lord. How imperative for the body of Christ to spend time in His presence. Jesus reminds us when we pray to go into our closet, close the door behind us, and pray to our Father who is in the secret place. And our Father who is in the secret place will see and will hear and will respond. And the Bible says that He will reward His children openly. How many of us would like to experience in a greater way, number one, fellowship in the Father? Amen? How many of us would like to enjoy the blessings or those rewardings openly by the Father? Amen? Yeah, we do. And we don't go to meet with the Father for that. That's just the byproduct of having fellowship with Him. It's very keen to me that Jesus reveals in his life for us that a life hidden with the Father, he reveals things to us. Amen. He'll show us things that are to come to pass. He's the revealer. He knows the end from the beginning. And he will, he will show us in our own lives and potentially in folks around us so we know how to pray. So we know when and what to say. And that's a communion, and Jesus demonstrates that. He demonstrates that. He said, I only see, or I only say what I have seen with my Father. Jesus was showing us the kind of relationship we can have. I would encourage you this week. I know our interns and pastoral staff, we are going to be, this week, engaging in what I would call a Daniel kind of prayer life this week. Daniel, if you read about Daniel in the book of Daniel, you would discover that morning, noon, and evening, he turned his face toward Jerusalem and he prayed to the Lord. Some one hour session, if you will, of prayer. Not that we're keeping time, but the idea there is we're going to be purposeful in our planning of our day for the next seven days. I would invite you to do so as well. To make that communion with your Father, concentrated communion with your Father, purposeful. Let that be what drives your calendar this week. Can I get an amen? How much we need the Lord to be foremost in our calendar, the 
foremost in our priority. Someone says, well, hey, can I meet with you at such and such time on such and such day? You say, I already have an appointment there, sorry. <coughs> Wouldn't that be great? So as a body of Christ, I just want to challenge you in that way. Uh, but before we dive into this morning's word, there's a number of announcements. Uh, I think these are out. These are on the seats. It's an information sheet. Will you help us? If, you, if you've been here, the, my family's so been here, right? We've been here since day one. So I want to encourage whether you have been with us from the very onset of the church all the way up to, hey, today's your first Sunday, which we welcome you, and we're glad you're with us. We do have a gift in the back for you, and uh, we'd love to get to know you better. But will you take time and fill these out, and you can leave them on your seat, if that might be convenient for you. You can leave it on that table in the back where the coffee mugs are with those gifts, and uh, we just want to opportunity to get to know you and stay connected with you. I know email addresses, phone numbers often, sometimes even home addresses. Sometimes there's additions to family. How many of us love babies? Amen. Amen. There you go. There's also the backpack buddy application uh, <coughs> sheets. I want to invite you to participate with us in the outreach that we do on a weekly basis. Meeting families uh, that are really in marginalized living right here at this school is between 35 and 40 percent that are on free and reduced, and we survived at least 45 meals, uh, 45 bags that have two meals in each of them, so about 90 meals uh, every weekend for about 45 different children here at the school. So we would love for you to be part of that. Then we also do another 35 to 40 over at the Head Start program, at which allows family support center. So uh, we've got a lot of food that's going through and being followed through. We would love to have your participation there's a receptacle in the back. There's information on what goes into each of those bags. Each of those bags, excuse me. And we would love to have your uh, participation with that. Well, I'm sure I have a couple of other, other announcements, but uh, you read through your program, your bulletin, and uh, these brought up to speed. Also on this sheet, there's a spot down at the very bottom that asks the question about involvement in ministry. Are you serving somewhere? We do believe this, that every person who's part of the body of Christ, every person, Regardless of age, regardless of experience, if your faith is in Christ, God has a ministry for you. God has an assignment for all of us, and it's not, it's not a laborsome thing. It's an opportunity to simply involve and engage and serve in the kingdom of God. We would love to help you get connected. Then there's another place where you can mark a box there if you'd like to be included in our weekly e-news, and so that will help us. So please help fill those out. That'd be great. Well, we're... Uh, we are in the book of Genesis. Uh, I want to thank Matt, uh, my son, Pastor Matt, for teaching the last, or well, he's taught twice in the last three weeks. Uh, so thank you, Matthew, wherever you are. I don't see you in here anymore. He left. He's like, I've preached on out. <laughs> I think he's helping with some uh, prophets or something. Uh, today we're in Genesis chapter 9, and we're going to look at really three things today. Number one, our God is a covenant-making God. He makes covenants with mankind. Our God, secondly, is a covenant-keeping God. God's word is true. Amen. He, and the third point is, God is faithful, or he has a faithful character. His word is gold. His word is gold. It can be counted on. It can be trusted. 
faith can be placed in the promises of God. And Matt shared that scripture out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. All of the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen. I'm reminded that Paul writing to the churches of Galatia reminds us that we are blessed with believing Abraham. And there was a covenant made with Abraham and the children of Israel that would come from his loins. And the promises of God for the church befall on us because we are blessed with believing Abraham. So in him, all of the promises are yes, and in him, amen. How many of us could stand to know more of the promises of God that we might experience what those promises are, that we might stand upon the solid rock, the foundation that has been established, and know that God will come through in every circumstance and every situation. Amen? Amen. Well, turn your Bibles with me to uh, Genesis chapter 9. And uh, we have covered a lot of territory. I'm not going to review all the territory that we've covered this, up to this point. Otherwise, we'd be here until about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and those rockers would be overcooked. Uh, I, will, I will remind you that uh, we are in the division of the book of Genesis, which is divided up into 11 sections. And if you remember from our early study, it's divided by sections identified by the genealogies. So presently we are in the generations or the genealogies of Noah. And there are 11. This is the fourth section, if you will. And really, in a kind of a larger scale, we are in the first 11 chapters, which are the history of the nations. The history of the nations. The history of all the nations of the world. It will get narrowed down to one nation in Genesis chapter 12 when Abraham is identified and he is the patriarch that will identify a single nation. But this is the time of the history of the nation. So today let's be reminded of the character and the nature of God. He is a covenant, promise, Making, keeping God, and He is faithful. Let's, uh, let's read together Genesis chapter 9, and we'll read verses 11 through 17. Genesis 9, verse 8. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, As for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth, with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow, or I set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. 
It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Father, in the next few moments, as we look into the perfect law of living, I pray that our hearts would be challenged. I pray that our hearts would be encouraged and built up in our most holy faith. And that we would be reminded today that you are a covenant making, covenant keeping, faithful God. We love you. Because when we approach the Word of God, oftentimes we approach the Word of God really in what I would call, and others might call, a Western mindset, a Greek mindset. When we approach prophecy, we think of again that prophecy fulfillment, prediction fulfillment. That's just a Western kind of thinking. The Hebraic kind of thinking, when they talk about prophecy, prophecy to them equals pattern. And so there are patterns throughout Scripture, and we see this in the character and the nature of who God is. The very nature that He is a covenant-making God, we would see the consistency that He makes covenants with His people, and His faithful character is the pattern that He would keep his covenant. So, to demonstrate this covenant and his keeping, look back with me for just a moment to Genesis chapter 6, when God begins to first communicate with Noah in relationship to his purpose in the flood. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 18, we find it says, God says, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you, and every living thing of all flesh you shall bring, two of every sort, into the ark, and keep them alive with you, they shall be male and female. When we get into chapter 9, or really chapter 8, we discover that Noah is delivered from the ark that he built, he was delivered, his wife was delivered, his three sons were delivered, and their wives were delivered, and all the animals that were on the ark were delivered. He fulfilled his covenant. He established a covenant, and then he fulfilled his covenant. Now, it's interesting to note, before we get into chapter 9, by way of example, there's a simple covenant, albeit not simple, there's a covenant that is made, covenant that is fulfilled. But herein also we see a pattern. Now look at chapter 8. Chapter 8 and verse 4 says, Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the seventeenth day of the month, on the mountain of Ararat. Now, when we find in Scripture 
very specific detail, like a date. The seventh month, the seventeenth day. One should ask himself, as a student of God's Word, why would we get that kind of exact detail? The Hebrews, in their hermeneutics and scripture interpretation, they have four different levels of understanding. The first is the literal understanding. The second understanding they have is what's called the remez. Everyone say remez with me. Remez. Remez is an indicator or a hint that there's something more. So when you see a detail given, one might ask the question, hmm, I wonder if there is a remez associated with it. Well, there is. Now, I don't have time this morning to go into a whole lot of detail. But let me just simply suggest to you that in the very beginning, the seventh month is the month of Nisan. Everyone say Nisan with me. Nisan. Nisan. Not a vehicle that you drive and manufactures. It's the month. It's the Hebrew seventh month, the month of Nisan. Now then, when the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt, God gave Abraham some covenants, uh, God gave Moses some instruction, and he told Moses that he was going to be the deliverer. So he sent Moses to Pharaoh, and it was going to be with difficulty that the deliverance was going to come for the children of Israel. And so, there were ten plagues. The tenth plague was the plague of the death of the firstborn in all of Egypt. The children of Israel were protected by what we know today as the Passover. And there was instruction given to every family in what they were to do. Now then, he says at that point, it was the seventh month, and it was the tenth day, if you will, that they would identify the lamb that was to be sacrificed, and the blood of the lamb put on the doorpost and the lentil of the door of that house. And the death angel, seeing the blood, would pass over that house. Passover was to occur on the 14th of Nisan. And God said in, Gen in Genesis chapter 12, excuse me, Exodus chapter 12, that it would be, uh, the month of Nisan would become the first month of their calendar. So God made a shift. So the Israelites have what's called a civil calendar. It begins with Tishri, the seventh month is still Nisan, that's their civil calendar. And they have a religious calendar. And the first month of the religious calendar is the month of Nisan. On the 14th day, from that point in Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, the Israelites have celebrated Passover on the 14th of the sun. To this very day, they celebrate it. It's in our spring, generally between March and April, the 14th day. Now, if you recall, during Jesus' ministry, he celebrated three Passover meals for three years. His last Passover, he said to his disciples, 
He had longed to celebrate this Passover. It was the 14th of the summer. It was that day that the Lord was crucified. The Lord was crucified. And three days later, what did he do? He rose from the dead. He came out of the tomb on which day? The 17th day of the month of Nisan, which at that point was now the first month, but it correlates back to Genesis, the seventh month, the 17th day. So the day that the ark rested, it was a new beginning for all humanity. The day that Jesus walked out of the tomb, the 17th day of the month of Nisan was a new beginning for all whose faith is in the Lord. And you see the pattern. The pattern. Okay, so God is a God of covenants, and he is a God of pattern, if you will. So, we dive in now to chapter 9. We've read this portion of scripture. Let me let you know that there are at least seven major covenants that God has made with man. Again, we're going to be looking at the uh, Noahic covenant, if you will. But let me mention these seven major covenants. The uh, Adamic covenant in Genesis chapter 3, which contains verse 15, which is the first promise of a deliverer, the first promise of a redeemer. Man has a plight, his plight is sin, death entered the world through the disobedience of one man, and so God provides a way of escape, God provides a way for redemption or deliverance or atonement. A covering, if you will, another passing over. So, the second is the Noahic covenant, found in Genesis <coughs> chapter 9, which we're at today. The next is the Abrahamic covenant, and it covers a lot of territory, really Genesis chapter 12 all the way up through Genesis chapter 22, some major points. And we'll talk about a slight variation from what a covenant is versus a promise. You see, a, cover, a covenant will have promises in them. And so there may be many promises in a specific covenant. The next is the Palestinian covenant, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 10, the Mosaic covenant, Deuteronomy chapter 11, the Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel chapter 7, and then the new covenant, Jeremiah chapter 31. And so, albeit today is a shorter sermon for me, because I know we have a mainstay for today is some real good fellowship, one with another around some brockers. Let me just take a few more moments and talk a little bit about covenants, and then come right back to the fact that God is making covenants and has made covenants with man, and that God's promises are something that you and I can base our entire lives upon. We may just jump into the arms of the Lord. So covenants are contracts, if you will, between individuals that are given in order to define a relationship. This is a definition that you would find in uh, dictionary.com. A contract between individuals that are given in order to define relationships. The very nature that God establishes covenants tells us something about God. God desires relationship. Hallelujah. <clears throat> I love this about our Father in heaven, Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit. His desire is relationship. So many 
followers of Christ are roaming on the surface of this planet with some idea that somehow God is mad at them. God is upset with them because of their sin and disobedience. It, it might be because in our own homes we grew up and maybe our dad was mad at us or maybe uh, we didn't do the dishes right and we broke a dish and mom scolded us and we view our father in heaven through our earthly relationships. Some of you smiled when I said that about broken dishes in the dishwasher. Yes, that happened to me. <laughs> and yes, I'm sure I got scolded very strongly as a result of that. And we get in this mindset that God's relationship with us and toward us is somehow based upon our performance. Can I relieve you this morning if that's you? And, and I recognize that these simple words are not going to change necessarily that disposition. Because that disposition, it takes time to work that out. But God... His relationship and his love toward you and me, it is not based on our performance. God loves you. God loves all mankind. He loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have the everlasting God loves you. And it's unconditional. The Greek word for that unconditional love is agape. Unconditional. Great. Unpack the word unconditional. Without condition. In other words, without performance. You and I, we cannot earn any more of God's love, any more of God's favor, any more of God himself. He says every spiritual blessing is ours. All of the promises are yes and amen. We already have it all. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Listen, the scripture says he is our Sabbath day's rest. We rest in Him. Stop. If that's you, please stop striving yeah. and trying to earn God's favor. Just receive it. Amen. Just receive it. Now, does that mean that we should, well, I can go live however I want it? The Apostle Paul would say, by no means. By no means. No, we are living changes as a result of this magnanimous love that God has toward us. And we say, oh, I'm going to just, I love God so much, I'm going to live my life <coughs> for Him. He's a relationship. He's a God of relationship. The covenants of the Bible between men and God are completely unique to Christianity. You will not find in another world religion anywhere a quote-unquote God of that religion that is establishing a relationship through only Christianity, only Judaism, and they really, Judea, Christianity comes out of Judaism, <coughs> and so this covenant related to God. A covenant, 
In Scripture, the personal relationship between God and man is based upon and mediated through the means of covenant. So a binding and solemn agreement to do or to keep, if you will, uh, a specific thing. A binding relationship that is for all time. I love that marriage is a picture and a type marriage. Pastor Dennis, thank you. When you prayed, you said, husbands love your wives and wives love your husbands. Marriage is intended in a covenant for or up to till death do us part. It's a covenant that has been established. And so, encourage every marriage in that regard. Uh, Covenants include promises, and promises can be both conditional and unconditional. Let me give you an example of a conditional promise. Particularly in this time of year, in this cycle that we have politically, many people are praying for our nation, and rightly so. I will tell you it is not by accident that our week of prayer and fasting falls the first week of November. For the election is forthcoming. We think it's paramount not only that every man and woman is praying and fasting for your own personal life, for the life of your family, for the fellowship and the body of Christ, but that we would pray for our nation. The promise of the Old Testament that is frequently quoted out of 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 if my people, if is the small word with the big meaning, if my people who are called by my name will, and then there's a performance piece, humble themselves and pray, turn from the wicked ways, etc. Then I will, covenant between two people based upon, if my people thus and so, then I, from heaven, will thus and so. That's a promise in the midst of a covenant that is based upon performance, if my people. And you would find that in the Hebraic covenant, the majority of them come in that kind of sentence, where it will be an if-then. Because the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, is based on two parties, man and God. And here's the irony of it all. Man could fulfill none of the covenants. Not one. In and of itself. So Jesus came. And he fulfilled all of the if statements of the Old Testament covenant. So it is in him, in Jesus, that we receive or are the recipients of the then portions of the promises. That's why all of the promises are yes in him and amen in him. Praise God. Those are ours. It's good. We should be reminded again, and I'll say this time and time again, a conservative number of promises in the Old Testament. Conservative. 3,000. 3,000. That's a lot of promises. Right? If all of them are yes in him, and all of them are amen in him, 
And you're sitting here, you're in your own mind, beginning to try and tally up how many of them do I know? If my people who are called on their names, then I you're all and, and you're like, how many do I know? If you know 30, you know 10%. You know three, you know 1%. How many of you woke up this morning and said, I can't wait to live for 1% of my life? Or how many of you woke up and said, I can't wait to depend on just 10% of God's promises? How many of us would say, man, I would want to live and walk and know and experience 100% of the promises that God has for me? If that's you, raise your hand. That's what we want to be. But we, uh, we say that but we don't necessarily live that because we don't always go to find what those promises are that I might stand on. Does that make sense? So the encouragement for us today, he's a covenant promise-making and keeping God. Hey, it behooves us to go find out what they are, to become students of the Word of God. I mentioned that Christianity came out of Judaism. We ought not neglect our heritage, Amen. where we came from. The New Testament tells us that all of those things happened and were written down for our admonition. It tells us that these are shadows of the things, these were the shadows of the things to come. The Greek word says for examples is tupos. They are types. They are patterns that God has for us. So we ought to be familiar with the Old Testament. Many, many Christians, many, many Christians spend time in the New Testament only. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we just go right through it. I know it's wrong. Turn in your Bibles to the book of the Dice. Let me first turn to the table. Because <laughs> we're not familiar. We're not familiar. Ministers make jokes. Jokes. Turn to look at hesitations. <laughs> Just a minute, I'll get to that. Okay, anyway. We need to know the word. Amen. says, verse 8, Then God spoke to Noah, to his son, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants that are after you. This is Noah and his family. All of us here today are from one of those lineages. Everybody get that? We all are from Adam and Eve, but God cut off all those lineages except for Noah and his three sons. So we come from one of those four 
seed, if you will. And it says, my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. Does that include you today? Yes. Yes, it does. Look at your neighbor and says, that includes you. Yeah. This, this, this is this is for us. And this is good news. It says this. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast of the earth, with you. And all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by those waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. That's the problem. It also tells us that the flood was not a localized flood. I know Pastor Matt referenced some uh, examples. And last week he mentioned that there are there is a theology that goes about that this was a localized flood. But he says that it won't happen again. And there have been many, many devastating localized floods, even very large localized floods, where many were destroyed. But no, he's talking about a global cataclysmic deluge, where the entire planet is going to be covered with water. He will never do that again. It's also a reminder to us that there is a judgment that is coming. He says he won't do it with water, but he doesn't say he won't do it. There is a judgment that is coming, and Peter reminds us what that is in 2 Peter. He says this earth, this world, is reserved, this universe is reserved for fire, or it will be destroyed, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. And that is something that we should be very cognizant of and very aware of, because he says that's going to happen, and he's a covenant-keeping God, what does that mean? It means it's going to happen. Just like he said, the flood of water was going to occur, so also the final judgment will occur. And as the believer, we say, Hallelujah! Because our reward is heaven. Jesus, praise be to God. What's up, Ian? How you doing? Yes, say yes to Jesus. I bet. So he said he will never again destroy all life on the earth. Now, in this portion of scripture, we find another pattern, if you will, and I just draw your attention to this. He gives a sign of his covenant. The sign of his covenant is a bow. He puts a bow in the sky as a sign of the covenant. We translated the New King James rainbow. There's many, there's many uh, science kind of folk and uh, people who love to study this kind of stuff that ask the questions. Then for the first 1,500 years of humanity on the planet, if there were clouds in the sky, were there no rainbows? That's an interesting question. And they try and hypothesize as to why there would have been none prior to, and we won't go there this morning, but God puts his bow in the sky as a sign. Now, in hermeneutics, and why and how we interpret the scripture, this would be the first mention of a bow as a sign of the covenant. 
So wherein is the pattern for you and I? Well, we just finished our study in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 6, we're introduced to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The first of the four horsemen is a rider on a white horse. And the scripture tells us that he has a bow in his hand. Most theologians, or many theologians, would hold that to interpret what the bow is, you go back to the first mention. The first mention tells us that the bow is a sign of a covenant. We would find that the rider on the white horse is carrying a covenant and the sign of the covenant. And we know from Daniel's prophecy that the Antichrist in Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 will establish a covenant for one week with the nation Israel. The first rider, none other than the Antichrist, he comes both conquering and the conquer, and he will just repeat these treaties that he will make. He will make a covenant with the nation of Israel. In the midst of that covenant, three and a half years into it, 1260 days, three and a half months, for three years and six months, he will break the this. Remember the Israelites when they started complaining, like always? 
gives them manna. A sweet kind of coriander bread that's sweet. And they pick it up for six days in a row. If they come out in the morning, there's manna on the ground. They just move down and pick up the manna. It's bread for today. And they gather it up. Now, if they gather bread for today and tomorrow, what would happen to the bread on day two? And yet, on the sixth day, they were told they had to pick up a double portion. And on the seventh day, it was a problem. And there was no man to be picked up. How did God do that? Well, he's God. Right? Right. But do you see the intimacy? Let's just say we're the nation of Israel, right in this room. Let's just say one of us decided on Wednesday that, no, I'm really tired. I don't want to work tomorrow. I'm going to pick up a double portion. And let's just say, let's just say for the sake of argument, I'm not to point any of you out by name. Let's say it was me. Okay, I'm like, I'm sleeping. Uh, and I'm going to pick up two batches today. Just the manna that I picked up for tomorrow morning on the day that I was supposed to pick two days worth. Just in my tent, that manna would be one of me. That's intimate. God is now directly involved with me, personally. Do you see that? That's amazing. For all of us, there was no manna out on the Sabbath. We, would have, we were supposed to pick up double portions the day before. And he caused that manna, the double portion, to not be rotten in every single person's tent. That's personal involvement. He is involved intimately. And think about what bread is. Bread is just daily sustenance. That's why Jesus would make statements in the New Testament. Why do you worry? As if worrying could add anything to the length of your days. Why do you worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or what you're going to wear? Pagans run after that stuff. Don't worry about that. Your father knows your needs. He, he accounts for every sparrow. Not a sparrow falls to the ground without his knowledge. Are we not much more valuable to him Does he not know where you are? You say, well, I'm out of work. I, I, there's more month at the end of the check than there is check at the end of the month. You say, fill in the blank, whatever it is, your health, your sickness, your, I don't even know what it could be. <coughs> and there's a, there's a big list, I'm sure. God knows. God knows. He will meet every year. Yeah. Excuse me. I'm going to invite you to stand. If I could get a glass of water, that's it.
so downcast, O my soul? And then he answered his rhetorical question. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. God will never leave us nor forsake us. He will never let you down. So let's put our faith Father, we love you, and we thank you that not only do you desire to have a relationship with us, mediated between these promises that you have made for us. Lord, so thankful that even in my weakness and my inability to perform in the original covenant, you have supplied and provided for in the new covenant of Jesus Christ shed blood. It is not a covenant of two persons, but one. The covenant, the new covenant in the shed blood of Jesus Christ is not dependent, and it is not between two, but it is dependent upon one. And that one was able to perform at every single level all of the if statements. And he fulfilled them all. And so in Christ, all the promises are ours as believers. Lord, today, help us to stand with certainty upon the promises contained within the Word of God. That we might become more familiar with the Word of God. For we can have regular communion with you and communication with you, and we can spend time in your Word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Lord, let us discover together the promises the challenge before each of us is to become students of the word. To walk by faith, not by sight. Believe and trust the word that we read, the word that we take in, and letting the word require Christ will which in us. And so, Lord, be glorified, bless and Father, as we transition from down here to the upper gym, I pray that our entire family would be able to stay with us today and just have some good fellowship uh, around rockworks and pretzels. I think there's even some potatoes up there, some root beer. But more than anything, just hang out with one another, God. We love you. So we ask for blessing on food and our time together. And we ask you to bless this day. And may we go forth with absolute confidence in our relationship with you and absolute confidence in your promises for us. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name. And all God's people put a strong amen. Amen.